Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am not joined by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon today. At the time of this recording, Joe is not yet a father, but by the time you hear this episode, it means that he is a father. And so I am not joined by Joe today. Who I am joined with is an NBA Twitter legend, a guy who never misses, Streaker Jasty. You know him as at Streaky Shooter on Twitter. Streaker, thank you so much for joining me. I've wanted to get you on for a long time. Thanks, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thanks for having me. Glad I could come on. Yeah, I know. I mean, there was uh, no one I'd rather have on given the state of the Phoenix Suns right now, which um, if I if I had said that, if I had uttered that sentence at any other point over the last decade, it would probably be because like something dysfunctional happened and I'd want your funny take on it. But instead, we're sitting here doing this episode with them up one nothing in the West Finals. By the time people hear this, I don't know what the series will be, but as the ultimate Suns fella on Twitter, what is going through your head right now? What are you feeling? What is the elation? Because... I mean, as sports fans, we all know what it's like in a way when your team succeeds. But what is it like for you? Because this was a team that for a very long time, this felt out of reach. It, it did. And I, I wasn't getting a lot of podcast invites specifically to come on and talk about <laughs> the Suns season over the past decade. So I think I think, you know, why? I mean, look, uh, it's. It's amazing. I can't. I, I, as you know, as a sports fan, like it's always great when your team is having uh, a wonderful season, but it's amplified like 10 times when that that season is coming after a decade of misery and also um on top of that it's it's when i think the best things in sports are is when a team sort of comes almost comes out of nowhere or is like beats expectations beyond anyone's reasonable expectations and it's just a fun surprise team and there's no real baggage no no weight of massive expectations heading into the season Everything is just gravy, and I feel like that's what we've gotten a lot of. Obviously, now we're looking at them as like an championship contender and like one of the likely championship contenders at this point, which is wild to think about. But for most of the season, it was just amazing because we were watching quality basketball after so long um, and quality winning basketball, uh, and it just it just feels nice. Can't lie. Was there like a point in this season? Because I mean, obviously, okay, they trade for uh, for CP. And, you know, everyone sees them uh, as like at, at worst, I'd say like a fringe contender at the time. I think there was a lot of optimism. They should be a playoff team, maybe fringe contender. Was there a point, whether it was the CP trade or maybe once the season started where like for yourself, it became real, like, all right, they're actually this good or, oh my God, I might be watching a genuine championship contender wearing Suns uniforms. Yeah. I mean, before the season started, I I think I... My what I said was I was hoping they would get somewhere between the four and six seed, you know, would get above the play-in scenario, uh, and and like shoot for the four seed to get home court. I thought that would be like the ideal scenario, um, and obviously they beat that, which is which is incredible. But I think when it really started setting in that this team was even better than what I hoped they would be, uh, was uh, started I think in like. February, right before the All-Star break and then continued after the All-Star break is when things just started clicking. Like early in the season, this they started out 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, Booker and CP3 weren't totally meshing together. They were still obviously trying to figure things out. There was a lot of like taking turns with the, with the offense. Uh, and the offense wasn't really where a lot of people thought it would be. And it, it got there, I think, after February when they just started winning 
consistently and you could tell that everything was clicking and I think they they peaked at, at the right moment in the playoffs too which is which is awesome so I would say around around the all-star break is when it started becoming a little more obvious that this team is legit good yeah and they're like they're just such a good team like capital t team like they're so well balanced they're so well constructed for the modern game like obviously cp and booker is like backcourt combo made in heaven for the modern game between you know their sh- their individual shot creation abilities the playmaking between the two of them they're both shooter like they can both shoot both can obviously handle the pick and roll like that combination in and of itself is a dream for the modern game and then like this the massive step ayton's taken and what he's done in the playoffs, like Bridges, obviously, then Crowder, like just like up and then Campaign, who I know you tweet up a storm about all the time and just but what he's done for this team, like up and down the roster, it just seems like it is such a perfect fit and like everything's come together so perfectly. I guess what would you say is the most surprising element of it? Like, is it Aiton? Is it like the the playoff player Aiton has been? Is it just Booker in his postseason debut? Is it Campaign? Like what? If there's one thing about the season that surprised even you as like an optimistic Suns fan, what would it be? Yeah, I think in the playoffs, it's been Aiden. I think the big concern for a lot of Suns fans, and I think even just people looking at the Suns from the outside, uh, was, you know, was the youth, right? Like, how would they do in the postseason with all with all this youth around Chris Paul and Jay Crowder? Um, and especially Aiden, he, he has inconsistencies through, throughout the regular season where like the highs are really high. You could tell this guy was, you know, could be in uh, sort of a, defensive presence inside um but there were sort of inconsistencies on offense um and in the playoffs he all credit to him he stepped up and i think that has been a little surprising to see him do this in his first playoffs uh as a 22 or 23 year old um it's yeah it's, it's been amazing but before that though i think like the thing that surprised me uh the most was the bench and that starts with campaign i think like one of the biggest questions for for me going into the season roster wise was that backup guard spot um, behind Chris Paul, especially given, you know, Chris Paul's injury history in case he had to miss time. How would this team do and campaign? All we had was the eight games in the bubble last year. Uh, And he was great in the bubble, but again, it was eight games. Yeah. And so I had no idea if, you know, he would continue that level of play given that we haven't seen campaign play well in the NBA before those eight games. Um, yeah. the, and the man, Bulls famously wasn't it the Bulls that famously uh, thought there was no way he was even an NBA player who was it that had that quote from like yeah a Bulls it was the Bulls there. they said like yeah. I we're not looking at an NBA player and they they, yeah. they called him the worst player in the NBA um, and that guy has just grinded back uh, to the NBA and like everything when you listen to him talk uh, out he you can tell he just like is grasping this opportunity and i think he's just fit in so perfectly um especially as, as a backup to chris paul and being able to play with like a faster pace when chris paul is more of a slower guy uh it's just created a really dynamic sort of um two offenses within within how the suns play so i think campaign still um i love the story the comeback I, any everyone loves a comeback story right yeah. and this guy was drafted i think one spot behind devin booker Fell out of the league and now is playing with Devin Booker. Yeah. Started a Western Conference Finals game. It's a wild story. Um, yeah. Really happy for him. And Worked his way back him. through the G League, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he played it yeah. a year or at least part of a year in, yeah. in China and then worked himself back through the G League right before yeah. he uh, signed out with the Suns in the bubble. 
Yeah, it really is a remarkable story, as are the Suns uh, in general. And even like Booker and Aiton, and Booker especially, obviously, you know, as someone who I know through following you has always defended Devin Booker, and rightfully so, but like, this guy took a lot of flack for a long time because the franchise he was playing for, the team, like the, the talent around him in literal and figurative ways was goat shit. <laughs> and, and this guy took the brunt of it, right? Like as, as the guy that was maybe a non-winning star, an empty calorie star, whatever the case may be. And if someone had told his doubters that when this guy eventually gets to the playoffs, he'll be unquestionably one of the best players there, like carry the team to the Western Conference Finals uh, with Chris Paul missing some time and playing half of the first series without like a shoulder, basically. Um, first first triple-double in his first career triple-double, I believe, was game one of the Conference Finals. Just like checking every box of like what you want a playoff superstar to be, you know, and, and your franchise alpha to be a 16-game player, as Draymond would call them. Um, so I think that it doesn't surprise me because, you know, I even, like I think it was two years ago when the Suns were mired in one of their slumps, but Devin Booker was playing well. And I wrote a column and the title was something like the Suns are trash, but don't you dare blame Devin Booker. So like, I have always been a fan of like what he's, but I I can just only imagine like for someone that didn't believe in him, how shocked those people must be. Like the the guys just showed up over and over this year. Yeah. um, And, and that, that title, the Suns are trash, but don't you dare blame (laughs) Devin Booker. It's basically every Suns fan uh, yeah. who was stuck with that team between 2016 and 2019. Yeah. I think the thing that be, being a Suns fan over that period and, and being a Devin Booker defender over that period has taught me the most is that context, when you're looking at losing teams and like good players or young players that are putting up good stats on good efficiency on losing teams, you have to look at context. It's so yeah. easy to just say like, oh, he's not winning. Therefore, he's not a winning player. Yeah. But, like, who could have won with Dragon Bender uh, and Josh Jackson and Marquise yeah. Chris and and no point guard? And I think the context just gets lost with, like, this really easy things to latch on to. Um, and I think if you, watch the, if you watch the games and you looked at how he was playing and you looked at the trash around him, like the dysfunction in the organization all around him, top to bottom and on the court, I think it was it was obvious that this guy was sort of a star in the making, just stuck in a horrendous situation for him. And luckily for Suns fans, luckily for the Suns, you know, it's it's working out now. And like everyone's getting to see you know him on the biggest and best stage possible. So happy for him, really, more than anything. But um, I think a lot of Suns fans will say, I "Told you so." Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you guys. And I like like what you mentioned too about the efficiency. I think is a key factor too, and it's something I've all argued all the time. Is like okay, I get the argument about empty calories and all that for some players. It's true of some players on bad teams, but if a young player in particular who has like no offensive help around them and everyone in the goddamn gym and in the building knows they're like the only guy on that team capable of doing anything and that player still manages to score and produce efficiently, Mm -hmm. that's like, that tells you something because it's not like they're putting up 20 points per game on like 39% shooting or, you know, taking 35 possessions a game. Dude, if a guy's scoring efficiently in the NBA with no help around him, and it's like it's one of the reasons I was so blown away and impressed by Shea Gilgis Alexander this year. Cause it's like yep. the guy was playing with almost zero offensive talent around him and managed to score prolifically and efficiently. Like that you can't just chalk that up to well someone had to score. It's a bad team. It's like, but he did he scored well. He didn't just score. 
Yeah, it's and it's 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 really hard to do that. It's really hard to have above average efficiency as the basically the only offensive talent on every opponent's scouting report um at night in and night out and and to do it at like age 21 uh consistently is, is really hard and i think she is a great example i think i think of people uh I, it seems like at least people are a little more are rising up more to players like that now i think i haven't seen as much about Shea, rightfully so because he's incredible and i can't wait till okc puts cashes yeah. in on some of these like yeah. 2045 picks that they yeah. have yeah. And, and and put some talent around him but he's he's awesome yeah um all right so i mentioned to you off air i didn't want to get uh too like game specific or anything because by the time this airs we're not sure what the west final series will look like or or whatnot so um we'll talk a little bit about other stuff so again for anyone listening like first of all if you're an nba fan which you obviously are if you're listening to an nba podcast you probably already know streaker's online persona one of the funniest people on twitter period not just nba Twitter and from an NBA perspective, you know, whether it's innuendos about your favorite players, uh, calling Giannis instead of Kupo Mykonos, Kid Gilchrist, whatever else. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Ultimate Suns fella. If you follow him, you know that too. Uh, and honestly, like from an NBA social media perspective, an NBA social media influencer. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, your Twitter game and like the origins of your Suns fandom and all that. So the first thing I want to ask you is like, your background in basketball or Suns fandom. I know your Twitter profile says you're in the Bay, I believe, like the Bay Area. I am. That... Yeah, I am. Okay, I'm so are you originally a Phoenix guy or? Yeah, I am. And and I regretted that decision for so much of the past decade. But um, <laughs> yeah, the reason I'm a Suns fan is I never watched basketball until I happened to turn on a game in April of 2005. And it was uh, a Suns versus Mavs playoff game. I think that that conference semifinals that year. Um, and it was, I had, I knew none of this context back then, but it was, you know, the first seven seconds or less team. Um, and th- I just turned on the game and I just watched the game and I was obsessed or I just loved sort of how the Suns were playing the fast paced up and down. It was super entertaining. This floppy-haired white dude running running the show was incredibly entertaining and became sort of my favorite uh, NBA player over the next couple of years. Um, and still, I think, is uh, my favorite player ever, Steve Nash. Condolences to his coaching career this year, but um, he was, he was, he was still a, he's still a Suns legend. So yeah, that's effectively how I became a Suns fan, stuck with them through all of those years, through all those sort of painful playoff losses, and then the even more painful... Uh, non-playoff losses of which there have been many over the last 10 years um so uh i've gotten to points where over the past decade where i especially as the warriors started you know their dynasty i thought to myself why growing up in the bay area why did i not choose the we believe warriors and choose the suns instead but hey right now it feels pretty good yeah, no, I don't blame you. But okay, so yeah, so that when I when I was saying, uh, are you a Phoenix guy originally? I meant like, were you? Did you grow up in Phoenix maybe before you went to the Bay? So you've always been a Bay Area guy. Yeah, always been a Bay Area guy. Oh, okay. Only only ever been to Phoenix to visit and to go to Suns games. Okay, and and okay, so your fandom started with Nash and that 05 team, and uh, and yeah, so that's also incredible that you know you you stumble upon basketball when the seven seconds or less Suns are at their you know, their pinnacle and uh, you become a Suns fan in the Bay area at the time. I mean, it seemed like a good decision. Like they were, you know, the best, if not one of the best teams in the league for that half decade. And then you end up having to watch the Warriors <laughs> in the Bay area become one of the greatest teams ever. Well, the Suns flop. 
I did not plan on any shameless plugs while we were doing this, but you brought up the 2005 Suns and and Nash in particular. So we'll get in because I told you I want to ask you too about like your you know your absolute high as a Suns moment. So I'm not a Suns fan, but my personal high as uh, if I was to be asked a Suns high was that 2005, not just that 2005 Suns team, but that particular series that you mentioned. So I'm sitting here in Toronto. I'm a Canadian basketball fan. Obviously, growing up, Steve Nash was an athletic god to me. Um, and uh, it end, this ended up spawning what like the work I'm most proud of in my career thus far in NBA media, which is I did an oral history last year on like the 10-month journey between the Mavs letting Steve Nash walk and MVP Steve Nash eliminating the Mavs 10 months later. I did. I talked to Dirk Ford. I talked to Nash. I talked to Dan Tony and David Griffin, a bunch of guys. Wow. Uh, I was super proud of it. But yeah, that for me, I'm not even a Suns fan. And that series, that performance, Steve Nash, 10 months after being told by Mark Cuban and the Mavs that he was not worth the money that he wanted, going back there and averaging literally almost a 40-point triple-double over the final three games of that series to eviscerate and eliminate them made such an impression on me as a 16-year-old at the time that 10 years later as a 30-year-old in NBA media, I like spent months of my life putting an oral history about it together. So I'm very glad you brought that up, not just so I could put out that shameless plug again, but um, because, yeah, that I can only imagine as someone who became a Suns fan. Like I said, I'm not even a Suns fan. And that series, that performance in particular, left such an impression on me. I'm glad you actually plugged that because I now I the first thing I will do after this recording this is yeah. go read that because it might, it might take some time. It's like a three-parter. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Music to my ears. Um that's actually the first game. That is the game that I that's saw amazing. That 47 point performance, I, I think, by Steve Nash. Um that was my first ever Suns game, and that's that's why I'm a basketball fan today. Amazing. Um, okay, so I mean, I I just spoiled what my son's high was. What's your that's if that's like the origin story for you? And we know some of the dark times that have come the last decade. What was your like absolute as a fan high? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was this season. Uh, what do you remember? What it was? Yeah, I think it will be this season. To be honest, that's what I'm hoping. By you know, in a in a couple of weeks or a month, hopefully a month, uh, <laughs> that the new high will be this season, right? Yeah. Um, because I think this Suns team does have the chance to be the greatest Suns team ever. Um, I'll, it's 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 on the table. Uh, but I think if, if, it, if we're not talking about possibilities of this season, I think uh, my favorite Suns team ever before this year uh, was 2009-2010 Suns team. I, I loved, you know, the 0405 team. Uh, I loved the 2006-7 team that was, I think, I still maintain was robbed of a, of yeah, a title. That, that, was the, that was the team that got screwed. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I will never forgive Robert Ory. But yeah. anyway, 2009-2010 uh, became my favorite team because it's similar to what I was talking about earlier uh, about about this year's team is the weight of expectations was lower for that team. Uh, the year before that, in 08-09, they missed the playoffs. Uh, that was the full Shaq year. Um, and uh, Amari got hurt. Uh, they they hired a new coach, Terry Porter. They ended up firing him because he was not good. Alvin Gentry took over, um, but they missed the playoffs. And so basically the only changes they made were getting rid of Shaq and adding Channing Fry. Uh, and th- those are the major changes. And so people expected them to be in the playoff mix again, but not, not nowhere close to you know the highs of the Suns team from previous years. And that team had just incredible chemistry. That was the na- last, I think, sort of year of Steve Nash's peak um, and Amari's peak 
uh, before he went to New York. And they were both so good. And that team was so deep. That was like Goran Dragic uh, off the bench, Barbosa, Jerry Dudley. Um, Grant Hill was still a you know, quality uh, starter on that team. Uh, and Robin Lopez, I believe. Um, and so that team just surpassed, again, everyone's expectations and just became a really fun team to root for. And they went to the Western Conference Finals and pushed, you know, the Lakers to six games. Again, ended on with heartbreak, with uh, a brutal, brutal loss uh, in game five. But um, that That was the our test. That was the world peace buzzer. Yeah, yeah. That, was the, yeah. that was the Kobe assist to yeah. Yeah. Uh, our test at the time. That, yeah. That's how long ago it was. That, yeah. uh, it was. He was Ron Hartest, not even Meta World Peace. Um, put, put back at the buzzer. Yep. But that team, um, I think that 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 playoff run, I think, was until we got to that our test uh, put back was the high of my son's existence. Uh, they they swept the Spurs, so avenged some uh, demons there, um, and, and then beat the Blazers before that. So that was just a really fun fun playoff run. Yeah, I remember that playoff run again as someone that you know wanted so bad to see Steve Nash get a title or at least a shot at the finals. And I remember like loving that Suns team, thinking they were fun, obviously not thinking they were the contenders they had been in previous years, as you yeah. mentioned. But then I do remember there was like a point in that series, it was probably when they swept the, the Spurs, that I actually had like talked myself into, you know what, like they're th- they've come this far, they're playing incredible basketball, like it's eight wins or it's just four wins to get to the finals. Like you never know. I think they've got a shot. And then when the series was 2-2 and the way that game five was going, like I had, I had convinced myself almost like never before that Steve Nash had a chance to win a championship that year. And so when it ended again, it was like one of those things like I'm not a Suns fan, but just as a Nash guy and as someone who wanted to see that team break through, I was gutted. And it's like a visceral like memory for me of how just like beaten down Nash seemed at the end of that series, you know, like they had had playoff heartbreaks before with better teams. But I don't know if it was just like his own premonition. Like he probably knew it was the end of the road and he wasn't going to get another crack, at least in Phoenix. But you could tell, man, he was so gutted by that ending. Yeah. And that's one thing. I mean, if you end up reading the oral history, all great. In it, he ends up, it's like a really poignant moment. Honestly, like one of the most poignant moments I've had in this career where I can't even remember how it came up because I didn't point Blake ask him about not winning a title in the conversation I had with him. And I think at one point he just like goes on a little mini rant about like... Like I never won and it sucks. But then, he, you know, he ends up talking about like, wow, he's like still obviously appreciative of his career. And he got to a point where he came to terms with the fact like it's hard to win. Not everyone wins. Yeah. But even as I was listening to him say that in the interview, all I kept flashing back to was that 2010 team and the way he looked on the court after, after it ended. Yeah, I will never get that image out of my head where after game six and they, and they lost, he reacted like like you were saying, like he had never reacted before. He, there, was this, there was this moment that he shared with Alvin Gentry in the locker room where he was crying and it was like caught on the TNT cameras and he was just crying and hugging Alvin Gentry. And that's when every Suns fan, I think, knew and he, that, you know, um, that he knew that was the last chance. So it, was, it, was, it ended, obviously, with heartbreak as being, uh, as any Suns season generally has tended to do, but... Before that, I think the the ride and thrill of that season was is is, is yet to be matched uh, until this year. All right, so flipping the script a bit to more depressing discussion. Uh, what's the because there's again there's been some downtimes in the last decade. There, I'm sure there's plenty to choose from. I even mentioned the goat shit, the whole like McDonough. This would be a lot more depressing if the Suns weren't good right now. So Fair I'm enough. ready to talk about. It. Okay, I'm ready so to what, go back if, if you can pick one out of what I'm sure is like a litany, like a plethora of options here, what is the for you personally? the darkest, like absolute rock bottom as a Suns fan? 
Yes. Uh, I, I, I thought about this and there, there have been many to choose from even between like 2016 and 2019. But I think the one that really sticks out for me is uh, the start of the 2017, 2018 season. For context, that season, they, they went on to finish that season with literally the worst record in the NBA. Um, and that's when they got the number one pick and took Aiton. Uh, so I even thought about, you know, the whole passing on Luca thing, but I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. Um, yeah, don't want to bring I in think, any like bad juju, bad vibes. Exactly. In this championship. Yeah. Keep, Aiton's killing it. Um, let's, let's keep that going. But no, it was a st- before, before the Aiton year, it was the 2017-18 season. They started the team. Uh, we knew that Devin Booker was just like, um, yeah, this 20 or 21 year old rising star. Uh, he, Eric Bledsoe was still on the team. He was starting. Earl Watson was the coach uh, that they just hired without interviewing anyone else. Um, And they started that season uh, with a 48-point loss at home to Portland. And then they lost their second game by two uh, to the Lakers, I believe. And then the third game, they lost by, I think, 46 uh, to the Clippers. Jay time, baby. Yes. Uh, they, They had... Two mere 50-point losses in the first three games. And I've never seen a season end as quickly as that season. That was when that spurred the I don't want to be here tweet by Eric Bledsoe, which lives on in infamy. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Jay Triana took over. Watson got uh, got fired. Um, and that was just brutal. Like, I've seen bad seasons. That was the fastest I've seen a season just end. It was by the end of the first game, it was like, oh, shit, this team is done. Yeah. And so that, I think, I, I will never forget, especially because that first game, I, again, I was I, I was in the Bay uh, in that moment in San Francisco, and I met up with a bunch of Blazers fans. There was like this Blazers community uh, at a bar um, that I was invited to go uh, like watch with them. And I was like, oh, yeah, it should be fun. And then I witnessed a 48-point loss. <laughs> surrounded by Blazers fans and I was just shocked I was depressed I mean obviously when the team has expectations it's always worse but even like there's few things worse as a sports fan when you're a fan of like a young growing team that you think is ready to like take a step and then being hit with a sober dose of reality like nope actually they're not they're still really bad and this is just going to be another lost season that happened like maybe three years in a row where it was like oh maybe this is a year we'll take a little bit of a step you know but they just continued to not really put they kept losing talent if anything around booker and putting and drafting poorly and they never took that step and then last year was like the first year they took new gm new coach they took a little bit of a step and then this year they took like five steps yeah yeah they had that season two was it uh 13 14 or 14 15, when everyone thought they were like shamelessly tanking and they ended up they won 48 games but missed the playoffs by a game 13, so 14 like, yeah 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 that and was a fun year that, like, i mean everyone yeah. thought that were that was the first sort of ryan mcdonough year um yeah and everyone like you were saying everyone thought you know they were tearing it down and then they that was a fun year because again they beat all expectations they didn't make the playoffs so they won 48 games and they make the playoffs and so there were expectations the following year because they just won 48 games. Right. How are they going to build it? And then that's when everything started going downhill for like four years, five years. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, again, like it's crazy now to sit here and think about, again, we're sitting here, they're up on nothing in the West finals. By the time this airs, 
I think they'll be closer to the finals. Don't want to jinx anything, but it is nuts to think about because it's like, yo, something I mention all the time and it's especially here in Toronto and it's like when the Raptors went on the run, when they won it, when they raised the banner that following season, a thing I kept saying to friends and stuff is like, yo, man, like appreciate, like I don't think people, especially maybe more casual NBA fans, like I don't know if they realize how much of a championship exclusive league this is. 12 franchises have won a championship over the last four decades. Teams do not just rise up and win a title in this league. And so if you're the fan of a team that has a chance to do it and ends up doing like, there's almost a feeling like, nah, this can't be real. It's not, it's not my team doing this. Like, so yeah, I can only imagine the, you know, how surreal it's been for you and other Suns fans. And even like you mentioned the Aiton thing. And I was saying like, I don't want to bring bad juju and stuff. Like even something like that. It's like, okay, obviously like in a vacuum, everyone on earth knows anyone who passed on Luka Doncic. It, it was a terrible decision. Like the guy's basketball Jesus here. But again, in this championship exclusive league, like you win one, t- even if you win yeah. one title, I don't care. I'm not saying it, it, def- it makes it a defensible decision. I still think it was ludicrous passing on Luka is crazy, but you win one title. Not that it doesn't matter, but it's like it, it almost doesn't matter because you ended up with Aiton in the fold, accomplishing the only thing every NBA team is trying to accomplish. And the one thing that like, most will not in a fan's lifetime, if we're being honest. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, that's exactly right. I mean, if they win a title, you're right. That, you know, like, again, in a vacuum on paper, you take Luca number one in the draft, in a redraft every single time. But if you win a championship and you have a great team around Aiton uh, that continues to contend, but as long as you have that championship, like, everything worked out. And I hate that it's so outcome driven, like sports in general, right? Like it's like yeah. title or bust, everything. And like I think as a Suns fan, this is a franchise that's never won a championship. I think you, I've grown to just appreciate good teams for what they are. Like you know, you want to compete. It's much better to compete and have a chance at potentially playing for a title or at least be a contender in the playoffs than missing the playoffs ten straight years. <laughs> and yeah. So. Oh. You, you want to appreciate the championship, and obviously, like, there's so few. Again, this franchise in about 50 years has never won a championship. So, yeah, you you got to go all in when you have when you have the chance. And and, and I think I'm glad the Suns um, are, found a way to do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and they've got a real shot to do it, man, which, again, it, it's crazy. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. One thing I want to ask you, because I know you're not part of like NBA media, and I've never actually known this. You're like, what do you do? Yeah, I so the the reason why I even got into NBA Twitter was I, I actually used to write for an SB Nation Suns blog okay. called Right Side yep. of the Sun. Um, I started writing for them in 2013, so like right before that 13-14 season, that was pretty good. And uh, that's yeah, so I started writing for them then, and that's when I joined Twitter because I that's apparently where everyone <laughs> anyone who writes for the NBA needs to be, right? Um, so that's when I. Uh, yeah, signed up on Twitter, started engaging with that sort of little community. Um, and over the next, maybe 2014, 2015, this pretty much stopped writing, but kept tweeting. And so that just sort of became uh, more my platform for short form tweet content. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and not articles, which is much harder to do. So respect to people yeah. like you that, that actually do <laughs> make quality uh, content and Appreciate take the time to do that. Um, but yeah, so what, what I actually do uh, when I'm not, you know, tweeting is I, I, I might I have a day job. I work here uh, in the Bay Area um, uh, for a company called Thumbtack. Just do like business operations stuff for them. It's hilarious because you've amassed this like massive following and understandably so. Like I said, you're like hilarious uh, on Twitter. You've become a, an NBA social media influencer. Appreciate but it's, it's, it's hilarious because like you said, like you've got a day job and, you know, you just kind of like tweet basketball and other things in, in your free time, but you just do it better than people like myself who are like in NBA media. So it's uh, it's wild to watch, but it's incredible to watch. And, and you definitely <laughs> keep it entertaining no matter who someone roots for. Yeah, I mean, and then this playoff run especially has been, not just for the Suns, just the playoffs in general uh, have been so, so much fun that there's just, I've been watching as many games as I can, even, even non-Suns games that yeah, it's just been incredible. It's there's been so many new stories, new teams, new players having having their moments. Uh, that, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure if I looked at my numbers, my I'm tweeting quite a bit more over the last couple of months than I than I usually do. No, it's all good, man. It's like Booker or SGA this year. It doesn't matter. You're you're high volume but high efficiency, so it's all it's all good. Oh, the one man. thing I want yeah, to sometimes I, sometimes I will have my uh, my Josh Jackson moments though. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. All good. I'm, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sports obsessed in general, but I'm also a soccer obsessed Italian dude. I don't know if you're into soccer or watching the Euros. So anyone who follows me, I definitely people have unfollowed me because I've been more obnoxious <laughs> than usual the last couple of weeks because people are probably like, why the hell is this guy all of a sudden tweeting about like the Italian national team every other tweet? Um, so yeah, definitely going through my Josh Jackson moment right now. Nice. Um, the one thing I want to ask you though, is because as I was mentioning at the top, obviously you have some like hilarious tweet, even the stuff that's more tame, like something like Mykonos, uh, kid Gilchrist for Giannis, but you'll have other ones that are a, a lot funnier and even, you know, straddling the edge in terms of like PG 13 or maybe a little more rated R. So the one thing I was going to ask you is like, have you ever, and I don't even mean professionally, but just in general, like has being who you are on Twitter and among NBA Twitter ever like gotten you into any kind of trouble or like ended up in a dicey moment that you can share with us or a funny moment or something that's even made you think like, ah, damn, even for at streaky shooter, maybe I shouldn't have put this one out there. Yeah. I mean, the one that comes to mind, honestly, is, <laughs> is the, uh, the Sam Decker flight incident. I don't know if you're, if you're oh, I'm, I'm aware of that. that. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't want to yeah, assume I mean, that's what you were going to go with. I mean, it, to answer the question of like, did I ever think that it could potentially, you know, put me in a weird position <laughs> in my non-Twitter life? Um, that one comes close. For, for for the record, though, I think generally I, I I stand by things I tweet. I try not to put anything out there that is problematic. And like, you know, I, I have people that I work with who, who have found my Twitter and follow me. So um, I'm aware that like, you know, uh, as a as a public profile my and with my name on it and my photo on it like yeah people that i know in real life read my stuff so like yeah i'm not i'm not an idiot when it comes to that yeah um but to go back to that incident uh, for context it was uh i it was i think sam decker had tweeted that day something questionable and i just made a joke I, I, sam decker was known to do if anyone knows sam decker in the NBA, yes <laughs> Yeah, and he was still in the NBA in the, at that time. This was 2018, I believe. Um, and I think barely in the NBA. And all I did was I replied to someone I follow, I think, just replied to their tweet about Sam Decker saying, just saying Sam Decker, I spelled out Sam Decker, but with three Ks. 
I remember uh, in, instead of two case in his last name. Uh, and that's, that's all I tweeted. And then some guy who doesn't follow me, uh, and this, keep in mind, this was a reply that I posted to someone else, but this other guy found it, got mad some at Sam me. Sam Decker super fan. Show, apparently. And, uh, just retweeted me and was like, based, I forgot exactly what he said in that first tweet, but like, basically come, coming to Sam Decker's defense was like, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I engaged with him, trolled him a little bit, and then he replied back saying, basically offering uh, me a flight uh, to L.A. where he lives to come fight him. And I was like, as any sane person would think, I was like, this guy's obviously full of shit. So I continued trolling him a little bit. And then he replied with a screenshot of a purchased airline ticket to L.A. from San Francisco. And that's when it started blowing up. And I was like, holy shit, this guy actually bought a, <laughs> spent his own money to buy a flight for me. And the, the funniest part about that whole thing to me, if you go back, is after that moment when he tweeted that out and I retweeted it and I was laughing about it, he got that dude got so many replies from random people just being like, hey, man, I think you're an asshole. Can you buy me a ticket to Hawaii? Hey, man, I think you're a piece of shit. Can you give me a flight to Paris? It was unbelievable. It was so funny. Anyway. All that happened, I laughed it up this evening. For the record, I like it's obvious that this guy was just trying to pull some sort of power move and being like, you know, I, I knew he had no intention of actually fighting or showing up anyway. Yeah. Anyway, but he, but he did buy the ticket. I think he I, I, he went out of his way to like prove he bought it or something, right? Like he said he spent the hundred and fifteen dollars, whatever it was. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he was he would not stop tweeting about it. Honestly, he was like proud of that, even though the engagement he was getting was like 99% it was like dude look like a complete piece of shit anyway uh the the thing that i think uh i haven't shared before about that is like that was the night before i had an interview a job interview oh my god <laughs> so that that whole evening i was just laughing about it on twitter the next morning i woke up to like texts from friends being like dude i saw this on deadspin i was like dude i saw this on this other website like this this really like did this really happen this is hilarious and i was like oh shit, like if you searched my name on Google that day, there would be news articles that coming up like that were talking about this incident. Um, I don't think it necessarily painted me in like a negative light. None of that, none of those articles did. Uh, if you read them, like it was just like, oh, Twitter beef and this guy just like bought this guy a right. ticket to go. But it's still not like at first glance, just seeing yeah. that when you Google someone's name, it's probably it's not, not what you want to pop up when HR checks up on you. Exactly. So I was a little worried the next day, but hey, I'm still working at that company. That day. Oh, amazing! I'm still working oh. there today. So like, I was going to say, is it Thumbtack? Is it the company that you're working yes. for now? That's amazing. And some of my coworkers are aware of that incident too, like, that, <laughs> and they just think it's funny. That is an incredible detail to the story that I am so happy I now know. Yeah, and yeah. honestly, like, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I try not to talk about like. My personal life, my job, or stuff on Twitter, but um, yeah. that uh, that's anytime I tell that story now to friends, it's like that's like the cherry on top detail. Did the dude ever like? Did you and the dude ever like exchange messages after that? Did he ever like clear the air? That was like, or did you ever hear from that guy ever again? Yeah. So like, for, by the way, so I still had like, so I got hired for that job, but I still had the next. I think I had the next month off. Basically, I was taking a month off before I started this job, and that flat that he bought me was like within that month. Um, so I actually ended up going, I actually went and I, I just met up with a friend that night in LA 
and hung out with a friend and then came back to SF um, <laughs> later. But uh, yeah, so I actually ended up going and I like took a couple photos, tweeted at the guy because I just knew he, just to show him that I thank you for the yeah. flight. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Oh my God, that um, is incredible. And and then he got he got a little pissed after that because I don't think he think he thought that I would actually take the flight. And so he he sent me some uh, questionable tweets in the in the coming weeks. He would like randomly just tweet at me and being like, "I'm gonna see your blood on the pavement." And I was like, "All right, this guy's a little bit of a psycho." Yeah, um, seems unhinged. But uh, he, he he, I think over the last couple of years, he's he's stopped. <laughs> so hope yeah. he's doing well. I think if uh, if NBA Twitter had anything to say about it, you would have won the fight, and then told them Suns and four, despite the fact that. <laughs> The Suns oh, weren't a playoff team at the time, but you know what? It would have been a premonition. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely no. I'm not uh, the fighter. I'm not the Suns fan that people will pick to fight. Uh, <laughs> even if I ever would have been in the past, I definitely am not now. That guy has taken over the mantle of like every Suns yeah. fans like, uh, <laughs> like legend. Yeah, I do love the fact uh, that. Following game one of the West Finals, the Suns had to tweet out an official statement uh, reminding fans not to fight. And like, that's not what it's about because I guess a fight broke out between Suns and Clippers fans after game one. And they put out this statement mere days after the franchise icon that is Devin Booker gifted a guy (laughs) who went viral for knocking another dude out. Tickets and a jersey. So, look, I'm, I'm not even blaming Book for doing it. I just, the irony and the hilarity of that, like the Suns putting out this serious statement about like not condoning fighting and reminding people not to get too bent out of shape. But, oh, by the way, like a couple days ago, yes, we did make a big social media scene about gifting a guy who got in a viral fight at a basketball game tickets and a jersey. It is, it is unfortunately ironic. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, I saw you know videos of like Suns fans and Clippers fans fighting and after the game, after game one. And it's just, okay. First of all, all sports fights are stupid. You should yeah. never throw a punch. Sports, about it's not that serious. There are very few things that you should actually like physically throw hands on. Sports yeah. it's definitely does not come close to being one of those things. With that out of the way, I think the whole Suns and Four thing was, you know, some, it was defensible because the guy got a beer poured on him and then got right. sucker punched. And so For that sure. guy had every right to sort of, you know, defending himself. Absolutely. So like, I think, I think book was trying to, you know, give him something as, you know, for, for that. But then the worst case scenario to, for that uh, to happen after that is other fans being like, Oh shit. Now we should all fight. And like, right. this is like, yeah. Vindicating any sports fans fights. Like, no, right. come on. Just, you're never going to be that guy. That was a lightning in a bottle moment. It's not going to happen yeah. again. Stop yeah. trying to pick fights. Something for <laughs> nice. It was an iconic moment that should never be replicated. Let's say that. But I agree. Yeah, like the I completely understand his willingness and does like desire to fight back in that situation. I think most people, like a lot of people, would in in that situation. But as you mentioned, it should not. It should not become a thing where now like some Suns fans think it becomes like part of like the Suns fan like motif or culture where it's like all right this is what we do like no definitely not (laughs) let's just uh let's just enjoy the playoff ride keep the good vibes going and and keep saying sons and four but that's the only thing you should take away from that (laughs) love it all right okay i'm not going to keep you much longer but i only want to ask you one more thing uh on your twitter profile the first line is this one time a homeless dude chased me but then we got jamba juice and talked about whitney houston 
Can you share that story with us before you go? Because I am genuinely fascinated by this story in, in, in like serious way of how uh, you getting chased ended up with you sounding like you had a heart to heart about Whitney Houston. Yeah, I mean this. Uh, so that's been my bio forever. I think I just have. I, I think I've maybe added my Instagram to it, but I haven't changed that just because it's the most random thing. And like once a year, someone will ask me about about that. Um, and I don't know, it's just random. And I find it amusing. So the story behind that is this was when I was in high school. Um, I was in Berkeley uh, here in, in the Bay Area. And uh, I was I was go I was at some event um, at UC Berkeley, the, the college here. Uh, and I took a walk from Easter Berkeley to a nearby Jamba Juice, maybe a half a mile away, I forget exactly, and got myself a Jamba Juice. I think it was like a mango smoothie. And, <laughs> and I was walking back to campus um, for, for this event. And uh, I noticed uh, that I, this homeless gentleman um, that was on the street uh, that I passed on the way to Jamba Juice was like walking behind me, following me. And I was felt a little bit uncomfortable because I could tell that he was like, I don't know, looking at me and following me. And so I started walking a little faster and then he started walking a little faster. And so I was like, oh shit, what's going on? And then like, eventually at, at a stoplight, I just was like, turned on to just, you know, engage with him. I was just like, Hey man, like, uh, how are you? Like what's going on? And he, uh, long story short, he wanted my Jamba juice. Um, and so I was like, oh, well that's fine. I, and then I felt bad. I was like, I wish we could like share a Jamba juice. So I, we, just both walked to Jamba Juice. I got him in Jamba Juice. Um, and we talked for maybe 10, 15 minutes and found out he was a big Whitney Houston fan. Um, I believe she had recently passed away uh, at that point. Um, and so, yeah, we had a little bit, like you were saying, a little bit of a heart to heart about about Whitney Houston. Um, found out this guy was a big Whitney Houston fan and a big Jamba Juice fan. And I just enjoyed that. And that moment stayed with me. And uh, has stayed on my Twitter bio. Well, you know what? That is genuinely the, that's the type of wholesome energy and good vibes needed around the Suns playoff run, as opposed to the uh, post-game fights that we were talking about. So exactly. Think, hey, buy, buy each other Jamba Juices. Uh, speaking of which, I, will, I, I do want to plug one thing that Suns fans are doing that's actually really neat. So yeah, you, go you know, let's focus less on the fights and focus more on this. Like, I don't know yeah. if you've noticed it, but after every Suns win, there's a hashtag called chugging with the fellas. I I was actually going to ask you, but I'm glad you brought this up. Okay, please explain. <laughs> and this was uh, this was started by a couple couple Suns fans that I that I follow. Um, uh, I think his at is Surging Suns. Uh, was the original the Chug Father, so to speak. <laughs> um, and he just started it one day. Um, as as people who follow the Suns online know, the, the unofficial sort of nickname we've we've used for them is the fellas. Uh, long story there, we don't have to get into. Um, it be, it, I believe it begins with uh, Devin Booker tweeting about Hooters with the Fellas, correct? Yeah. yeah. Devin Booker, when he was 15 or 16, apparently loved going to Hooters with the Fellas and Applebee's with Pops. That's You're right. It wasn't that long of a story. <laughs> to get yeah. back to the original. It's all good. Look, we're, 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 we're no holds barred here on Pound the Rock. <laughs> we can talk about Devin Booker's uh, former Hooters obsession when he was a youngin. Yeah, it's. I find it the funniest thing. Um, it's hilarious, anyway, and he, he he apparently likes it too because he he engages with that stuff now. Anyway, to, to come back to chugging with the fellas, uh, it was started again by a couple Suns fans, and it's just ballooned to this thing where basically after every time the Suns win, it started early in the playoffs. 
you chug a beverage of your choice. Usually, I think most people tend to uh, pick beer, but I think I've seen all kinds of different things, um, non-alcoholic as well. You just chug a beverage, tweet a video of you chugging said beverage with the hashtag chugging with the fellas, and that's it. And over the past few games, um, it's evolved to sort of become an even bigger and better thing where uh, I think there's there, that the community of Suns fans have sort of organized where like for every uh, chugging with the fellas hashtag or tweet or video, um, they are donating a sort of a dollar to uh, a, a nonprofit, I believe it's called 110 in, in Phoenix, that is uh, sort of an advocate for LGBTQ rights, and which is awesome for, for Pride Month. So I think they've raised something like $10,000 over the past wow. two weeks, which is just amazing. And multiple yeah. people have jumped in, not just with chugging videos, but just to match donations, to add donations, et cetera. So that's the vibes that I think we're going for here uh, in the year Absolutely. of the fellas, man. Yeah. No, I like that, man. And uh, look, I you know I referred to you as an NBA social media influence earlier. I, I know in general, maybe people, they don't always have a positive connection between the word influencer in this day and age. And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, I think, I think in your case and, you know, in Suns fans in general that are doing that, I think that's like a perfect example of using um, social media clout you might have or influence you might have for good. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's like when you, when you get to having, even if I, I hate talking about, you know, influencers or platforms no, or whatever but it, it is, but, but at the end of the day, right? if, you, like if, you, if you have a following and, and yeah, you can use it in certain ways and yes. there are good ways to use it. And um, for, for the record, like I did not come up with any of this chugging with yeah. the fellas thing. I have participated in it because it's yeah. a very lovely cause. Um, but shout out to shout out to those uh, those folks, those Suns fans that are that are amazing and are doing that. And there's literally like after every game now, there's hundreds of people just chugging beverages and putting putting videos of that on Twitter and raising money, which is which is dope. Yeah, I know, man. I love it, and uh, I will try to join the army at some point uh, in this Suns run, which I believe will continue for a while longer. So again, yes, you to- will have I believe seven more opportunities to love to it with the fellas. Love it. All right, man. Uh, seriously, Sweeker, I really appreciate you taking the time at, at night here on a Monday night after you actually went to a day job. So very much appreciate that. Thank you for joining us and good luck to your sons the rest of the way. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a lot of fun. All right. Thank you again to Sweeker for joining the show this week. Mind my raspy voice. My voice is not cooperating right now, but I did want to include a fan shout out as always on this Wolf on List episode of the show. So this week's fan shout out goes out to Florent Aubin, longtime fan of the show from Quebec, said the only adequate template to represent the way Wolf on and I's chemistry works is the famous stat graphic of LeBron and Kyrie from that 2016 finals game that everyone uses as a meme. So Florent, Thank you for reaching out and being a loyal listener and supporter of the show. Usual call out for all of our listeners. Reach out on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, email, whatever. Let us know where you're listening from, how long you've been a fan, and we will get you a shout out on a future episode as we did Florent. I think that does it for now. Not sure who we will have on next week while Wolfon remains away, but we will figure something out. Until then... For Joe Wolfond and his beautifully growing family, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock. <laughs>